seats. That should be on page 8. Now, you know, you, ski, you see that skit and you feel sorry for the slave woman and her son. And if you read the book of Genesis, God shows great compassion on the slave woman and her son, for sure. That's God's heart. But Paul's going a different direction with the story this morning to point that we have, out, that we have a choice about which we're going to be, as we'll see as we get into this passage. So Galatians 4, 21 to 31. As we've been working our way through Galatians 3 and 4 over the past few weeks, Paul's been talking to us about what it means to be children of God and what it means to have God as our Father. And so it's ironic that we hit today's passage on Father's Day and it talks about uh, who our spiritual mother is. Oh well, fathers will continue to celebrate you today, but for the next 20 or 25 minutes, it's back to mothers. <laughs> mothers very often have a huge impact on our lives, as do fathers. Often positive, sometimes negative. Get me talking about myself, who I am, and inevitably, eventually, my mother will come up. Because our mothers shape who we are, they shape our identity, they influence our lives. And in today's passage, Paul is going to tell us a story about our spiritual mother. And through this story, he hopes to give us a better sense of our identity, of who that we are. Actually, the story Paul tells, as we've seen, is a story of two mothers, Sarah and Hagar. It's a story where Sarah is barren, But God has promised Sarah and her husband Abraham a son. And this isn't just going to be any son. This son will be the heir who is going to inherit all of God's amazing promises to Abraham. This is the son through whom all of God's plans will be fulfilled. To to bring salvation to the whole world. To bless all nations. And to bring restoration to a broken and dying world. But Abraham and Sarah, they try and they try for year after year, and Sarah never gets pregnant with this son. She's unable to. She has infertility problems. So finally, since nothing's working, Abraham and Sarah decide to um, up their own efforts even more, and they cook up a scheme to produce this promised son another way. Abraham will take Sarah's servant Hagar as his wife, and Hagar will produce an heir for her mistress, Sarah. And this practice, offensive though it may sound to us, at that time was common and acceptable. Well, their plan works. Ishmael is born to Hagar, and Abraham has a son. But both Ishmael and Hagar turn out to be trouble. They bring strife and and conflict into the home, and twice they're kicked out of Abraham's household as a result. And God makes it clear to Abraham that this wasn't God's plan and that Abraham and Sarah were failing to trust God. Because faith for them meant waiting for the son that God would give by his power to barren Sarah. So what's the lesson that this story teaches? Well, it reminds me of the old carpenter's rule, and I've shared this before. If it won't go, don't force it, right? (laughs) Because often when life doesn't work right, we try to force it. We we, we take charge. We we try to make things work in our own strength, just like Abraham and Sarah did. But that doesn't please God, and often it backfires 
often ruining our chances to receive the blessings that God had promised for us. In verse 23, Paul calls this, this uh, if it won't go, force it approach. He calls it the flesh approach to life. Or in some Bible translations, the human effort approach to life. The, the, the flesh approach is, is the, the self-effort, self-reliant, I can figure it out and make it happen myself approach to life. But the approach that God desires is the faith approach where we trust God for what God has promised to do. And, and with the faith approach, we depend on God, which sometimes means that we wait patiently for a very long time until God does what God's promised to do through God's power and in God's way. And this is how the promised son Isaac finally comes, right? As Paul puts it in verse 23, Isaac was born not as a result of the flesh, but as the result of a divine promise. And Isaac didn't bring conflict and strife like Ishmael did. Isaac brought laughter and joy and salvation because Isaac was the divine, miraculous life that only God can bring, the life that brought salvation and blessing. So Paul takes this story about Hagar and Sarah, about Ishmael and Isaac, and applies it to the Galatian situation whom he's writing to. He says, you have two choices, two potential identities, two possible lives you can live based on two different mothers. You can be like Ishmael, whom Genesis describes as a wild donkey of a man who brought strife and conflict wherever he went. Ishmael was born to a slave woman, to Hagar. And slavery is what you get when you try to relate to God and to receive God's salvation through the flesh, through your own efforts to make life work and, and to make your relationship with God work. Or you can be like Isaac, whose name means laughter because he brought laughter and joy. And because Isaac was born to the free woman, Sarah, his life is a life of a free son who inherits everything God promises, all the blessings and the promises of salvation. And all of this blessing is possible because Isaac's life is not earned or worked for. In fact, it's way beyond all human ability. It's a supernatural gift from God. Just as Isaac is born because of the miracle that God had promised, despite all human inability. So those are our two choices, Paul says. Our two choices for identity based on two different mothers. Paul recounts the stories and then he lays out these two options in verses 21 to 23. Then in verses 24 to 27, Paul takes all of this and he relates it to the Galatians. And he asks them, in effect, who is your mother? He says to the Galatians, we can take these things figuratively to relate to your current situation. Remember, there were some teachers from Jerusalem who had come into the Galatian churches. They were trying to turn the Galatians away from Paul and the gospel that Paul preached so that the Galatians would follow these teachers. These teachers taught that you needed to follow Jesus, but to be fully acceptable to God, you also needed to keep God's law like God's people, the Jews, did. And, and Paul says to the Galatians, okay, let's apply the Sarah Hagar story to your situation. 
which is your true mother? The Jerusalem teachers and their teaching? Or me and the gospel I taught you, which of us is Hagar and which of us is Sarah? Which set of teachers, which set of teaching? The Jerusalem teachers are telling you, in effect, that you Gentile Galatians, you non-Jews, are Hagar's children. They're telling you that if you don't keep God's law, you're sinners, and so you're in slavery like Hagar. And they're telling you that they are Sarah's children. That they're Jews from Sarah's ancestry. They keep God's law, which God himself gave them when God came down to make a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And the Jerusalem teachers are telling the Galatians, if you want to enjoy the relationship with God too that we we Jews enjoy, then you need to become like us. Become Jews. Keep the law like we do. But Paul says that these teachers have it all backwards. Because Christ has come, and Christ's coming is so significant that Christ has actually switched the columns. Now, it's the Jerusalem teachers who base their relationship with God on their own efforts to earn his favor, who are slave children like their mother Hagar. And it's all whose faith is in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, who are the true children of Abraham and are free like their mother Sarah. In other words, when it comes to your relationship with God, the determining factor is no longer your pedigree, your ancestry, nor your performance, how well you keep God's laws, because that's all fleshly Hagar criterion, self-effort, human stuff. The determining factor now, Paul says, is not that, but it's only Christ and whether your trust is in him. Just like Sarah bore a son only when she and Abraham trusted God's promise and it happened through God's power, not by human effort. Okay, so what do we do with all this? Well, we've got to ask, who is our spiritual mother? Because who your mother is determines who you are and what your identity is. Is your mother the slave woman? That's the teaching, like that of the Jerusalem teachers, that our life is based on making things happen for ourselves trying to relate to God based on the things that we do for him, trying to earn God's favor, and feeling guilty when our efforts don't live up to expectations. When I was in college, I had a friend who I'll I'll call Chris. Chris went through, at one point, a, a sort of spiritual slump for several months one semester. He was feeling far away from God. He he wasn't spending much time with God. And yet God was still blessing Chris. Things were going really well for him. God was answering the few prayers that he prayed, and there weren't very many, but God answered every one. And one day Chris said, I just don't get it. I'm far from God. I'm not feeling very faithful, and yet God is still blessing me. I don't deserve it. And then after he said this, he heard his own words, and he realized that he didn't have a really good grasp on God's grace, as if God would only bless him if he deserved it. If he earned it. And we often think that way, don't we? That's a human natural way to think. Even if we know in our heads that grace isn't earned. Often at a deeper level in our hearts and in our subconscious, we still have a slave identity. 
The identity that says, I have to work hard to deserve anything from my master. Because we feel unworthy to count on any more of God's grace. And often we doubt God's promises. What, what we need to hear is, is put really well by another preacher, Ron Steele. He says, what keeps you from getting grace in the first place is trying to deserve it. And what keeps you from enjoying it the most once you've got it is trying to keep it by deserving it. Stop trying to perform. Stop trying to achieve. Stop trying to get it by what you do. God wants to do certain things. He wants to change your life, but he will change you to the extent that you are utterly, utterly, utterly dependent on him for your salvation from beginning to end. We've got to stop playing Holy Spirit, trying to tinker with our souls and to overcome our stubborn sins and bad habits by sheer willpower. Because chances are, if you're playing Holy Spirit for yourself, you're playing it for other people too. Judging them, making mental notes of what's wrong with them, and then trying to fix them if you, they'll give you a chance. And people don't appreciate this. Trust me, I know. <laughs> my wife, Anne, has sometimes had to remind me that it's not my job to play Holy Spirit in her life and to fix her. <laughs> God can handle that job, thank you very much. And he does a much better job than I do. <laughs> God may use me now or then to bring a, a loving word of challenge, but that's a different thing than making people your project. All right, well, that's enough about slavery. What about freedom? What about being a child of Sarah? A, a child born by the Spirit, born in, in keeping with God's promise. A child whose life is a supernatural life, which, which God brings about through God's miraculous work in you. Well, having this identity will, will affect not only your spiritual life, it'll affect every area of, of our lives. Let me give you a story. I can't remember if I've told this story before, but one time, um, Ann and I needed a newer, bigger car. Ann was very pregnant at the time with Sarah, our second child, and our little Honda Civic hatchback was aging and shrinking, it felt like. <laughs> and I started casually browsing through the classified ads to see what I might be able to find. And then one day, about two, walk, or two blocks from our apartment, I walked past a nice-looking Toyota Camry with a for-sale sign on it. And I called about it, and um, I asked some questions, and the price looked good, the car looked good, so I arranged with the lady who owned it for a time to go and see it. Well, then Anne went into labor. And, and she was still in labor when it was time to go and see this car, and labor was coming fast and furious. And so I made a quick call on the way to the hospital, or maybe it was at the hospital. I called the lady to cancel going to see the car. I told her my wife was in labor. When life settled down a bit, I'd call her again to see if the car was still available. I just had to let the car go and to trust God. Well, about three days later, Sarah had arrived. We were home from the hospital. And I called the lady back, and the car was still available. So I arranged a time to see it the next afternoon. Well, when I got there that afternoon, she said that they'd re-advertised it and dropped the price about $450 since I'd first called about it. And she added that because they dropped the price, she'd had a bunch of calls that morning 
but she'd held the car for me to see first because she was so impressed that I thought to call her while my wife was in labor. Because, <laughs> you know, you advertise something, sometimes people don't show up, they don't call you or anything. So anyway, I saw the car, and it was awesome. I wanted this car, 91 Toyota Camry, awesome car, in beautiful condition. Um, and, and while I was there looking at it, about three more people called wanting to see it. Her phone's ringing off the hook, and she makes it clear to me that I've got to grab this car now if I want it, because it's probably going to go. But there was one thing that I saw in the engine that I was concerned about enough that I didn't want to buy it without getting a second opinion from someone who knew, knew more about cars than, than I do. So I just had to walk away again and trust God with this car. Sure enough, a few hours later, the, the, later the, the lady calls me to let me know that the car sold. Someone's given her a deposit for it. They want the car. And so I figured, oh, well, we're God's children. Uh, we can trust our Father in heaven, right? That God has something else for us. He'll take care of us. And I let the car go. Well, would you believe a few hours later, the lady calls me back and says, the car's available again. If you want it, the deal fell through. <laughs> but I got this call, call, just as I was about to take Ann and Sarah to the doctor in the city for their first follow-up appointment. And so there's nothing I can do about the car. <laughs> and I still want to get a second opinion on it. And so I had to give up the car a third time and trust God. And I still had a peace about it because I can trust my father in heaven. Well, just then, as we're about to head out to the doctor, a friend of mine who knows a lot about cars happens to get in touch with me. And I mention the car, and he offers he's available. He'll check it out right then for me. And um, he did while we're at the doctor. And that night, he reassures me everything looks fine with the engine. And he says, oh, by the way, I took the liberty of negotiating a better price for you. <laughs> and so the next day, we bought the car for about 25% less than the original asking price. And for years, it was a wonderful car for us. Yeah. <laughs> this is an advertisement for Al. He owes me about 20 bucks. Go see him if you need a car. He'll hook you up with a Toyota. Um, well, I don't always trust God that well. But that's the way we can live our lives when we're God's children, when Sarah is our mother. If it won't go, we, we don't have to force it. We can trust our Father. We can have peace and we can wait on God's timing and receive God's gifts because we know that God will take care of us. When Sarah is our mother instead of Hagar, when we're children and not slaves, when we're living in dependence on God's promise and on the power of God's spirit, rather than on our own efforts to make things work with God and, and to make things work in life. When we know that we're children of a father who loves us, we can enjoy freedom and confidence and peace and joy. We have nothing to prove. And we know we don't have to earn God's love because God delights in us already. And so it makes a huge difference when Sarah is our mother and not Hagar. And so Paul concludes by challenging us to be vigilant and to protect our freedom, to protect our identity. He quotes Genesis again in verse 30. Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's, uh, with the free woman's son. 
In other words, Paul's exhorting the Galatians, get rid of those Jerusalem teachers with their, God, their law teaching. Because that teaching isn't slightly off. It isn't just a bit unbalanced. No, it's slavery. Get rid of it. And so Paul's message for us is, be aggressive. Be vigilant to guard your freedom. Pay careful attention to who your spiritual mother is, what teaching, what gospel you're believing. And have nothing to do with teachings, and there's still plenty of them around today, which tell us that we have to keep a set of rules or, or exert lots of our own effort before God, will be, before God will accept us. And, and we have to be vigilant not only with those outside teachings, but with our own inner thoughts and assumptions and those tapes we play in our brains, those false messages which, which tell us that we're not good enough for God and, and we don't deserve God's blessings and that we've got to do more to earn God's favor. Be aggressive with those thoughts. Get rid of them, Paul says. Because if your faith is in Christ... Your mother is the free woman, not the slave woman. And so you are God's beloved children. And you are free. So it's not about your efforts to perform. No, like Sarah, you, you are spiritually barren on your own. There's no spiritual life in you. So you need to trust God and you need to receive the promised life by God's power, as Paul will go on to talk about the Holy Spirit as the one, as you trust him, who will give you the power for a transformed life. Christ has done everything that's necessary and that will ever be necessary for you to enjoy a relationship with God. You don't have to cook it up yourself. So don't forget, Paul says, who your true mother is. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to get a hold of the Apostle Paul to sort us out. To remind us of what it is to be a, a child who has a parent who loves us unconditionally. That we don't have to earn their favor. We don't have to walk on eggshells. Always trying super hard to not disappoint, to not do something wrong that's going to cause our parent to reject us. Thank you that you love us unconditionally and that you want to parent us, discipline us, love us, work with us, and teach us how to have a heart, how to have lives which are more like you. God, may that be true of us. May our identity be deeply rooted in the fact that our mother is the free woman and we are free to be your children. Amen.